Well, if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 3. And as you know, we're walking through the seven churches. Your, your notes for today are rather lengthy, uh, so your quiz is going to be extra long next week. No. But if you go to the very last page, and this was free for today, it lays out the seven churches. And we've seen a pattern, haven't we, with the seven churches? So there's a description of Christ. There's a commendation except for one church. And if you look at the very bottom, that's the church we're going to look at today. It's Laodicea. The Lord pulls out a paddle with holes in it, and that's all he does with this church is he spanks them, and he spanks them really hard. <clears throat> then there's a condemnation except for two churches, and then there's a command and then a promise. There's even a promise to Laodicea, which I, I think speaks so much of God's grace and mercy. <clears throat> but hopefully that chart is helpful to you, and knowing again there is this st structure. Some other things that we've seen as we've journeyed along is that the background, the social, cultural, historical background of these seven churches plays into the letter. Uh, Jesus' letter to these churches wasn't written in a vacuum. He understood. So if, if, uh, if we had a fun exercise for you high school students are here, and if you're taking this for a class, I would challenge you, think about writing a letter to the church at Carmel or the church at Westfield. What would you incorporate, you know, if you were talking to the church at Westfield, you'd mention maybe Grand Park. You'd talk about, you know, uh, you might use athletic terms to describe our perseverance in the faith because that's how the town is known. As Carmel, you'd use roundabouts. I don't know. Uh, but <clears throat> there, there's things that you would use to incorporate into the letter. And that's what we see here. And as we look at Laodicea, and I'm not going to go into a huge uh, background. You can read that for yourself in the note. But I do want to show you some photos. Uh, <clears throat> that's why I love taking people to these sites, because these aren't fables. These aren't made-up locations. Yeah, Roger. Oh, is my, yeah, I'm so sorry. That's very annoying, isn't it? Thank you, yes. We know who's OCD in the class. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we've seen the seven churches, which are in, is in modern Turkey. Laodicea is an enormous site. Uh, it's right up there almost with Ephesus. It's, it's gorgeous. It's one of the favorites when you take folks to the seven churches. You can see there's been much work done and is being done at Laodicea. In fact, last year, they found a house church, a house that had been turned into a church dated in the 200s, which is really significant. And uh, maybe someday we all go see it, right? That'd be great. So, and you can see the surrounding beautiful terrain. It's not far from Colossae, which we'll get to. This is significant. We'll get to this in the text today. This is the water system at Laodicea. Uh, and as you know, if you know the text that says, I spew you out of my mouth, we're going to come to this. But they, they, Laodicea was a very wealthy city in the first century. In fact, it was destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD prior to this letter. And the city, Rome offered relief, uh, financial assistance to the cities. And Laodicea said, no, thank you. We'll take care of this ourselves. So very fluent, <clears throat> and they, despite all of their wealth, they had a serious problem, and that was water. And so they brought 
hot water from the Hierapolis, the springs, and they brought cool water down from Colossae. And so you see these pipes all through uh, the tell, through the site. And you can see here, it's very, I'm sorry, this is low, but it's not far from Colossae. If you stand on Colossae, the site, and look over, you can see Laodicea, very close. And so in your notes, I mentioned this in that one paragraph, most likely uh, Paul did not uh, establish the church at Colossae. We know that. It was Epaphras. The text tells us that in Colossians. And Epaphras probably also founded the church at Laodicea. So he's a, a local yokel and as a believer that established these churches. Paul will mention Laodicea five times in his letter to the church at Colossae. So you know there's a close relationship. What you don't know, if I give you the background, is that Colossae as a town and Laodicea as a town did not like one another. They were rival towns. And I think what Paul was wanting was these two churches to join forces and to, to rise above the uh, tension uh, that was there politically, etc. So that's the backdrop. So let's go to the letter and let's look. This is Revelation 3, 14, the last of the seven. By the way, <clears throat> there are some, and this was a question I think Tim raised our very first session. There are some who believe that the seven churches are phases of the church throughout history. And there are some very reputable scholars who think that. Uh, and those who espouse that usually state, we are now at the phase of Laodicea. <laughs> that's not very comforting. We won't go there. But that's why I don't hold to that view. Uh, no, <laughs> there are other reasons. 314, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the following. Remember, this is Christ speaking. This is the solemn pronouncement of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your deeds. There it is again, that line, that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, remember that water system that they were known for. Very significant. <laughs> this is a side note. We had a guide that was absolutely awful. It was the worst guide I think I've ever had. Uh, and he didn't know the site at all, Laodicea. And I had studied the map to know where the, the water pump system that I just showed you is located. And uh, he goes, well, it's over here. I said, no, it can't be over there. It's over here. So we start all walking this way. The guide's going this way. The students are following me. And uh, I almost got bit by a viper, literally. Uh, so anyway... I, just a side note. It's a great sight. I wish I could take you. Uh, we could airlift right now. I wish you were neither cold nor, or, or I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to, and this is the first time the Lord has ever used this of his people. I will vomit you out of my mouth. It was used of the Canaanites. I'll vomit them out of the land. But it's never used of God's people. It's, it's very graphic, isn't it? Uh, and I'll spew you out. Regurgitate. Because you say, I am rich and have acquired great wealth and need nothing, but do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Take my advice, or here's some counsel. Buy gold from me, refined by fire, so that you can become rich. Buy from me white clothing so that you can be clothed and your shameful nakedness will not be exposed. And buy eye salve to put on your eyes so that you can see all those I love, listen to this, I rebuke and discipline, hmm. right? 
If you have children, you know exactly what he means by that. If I don't tell my kids no, and I don't help them in their obedience, right, their walk, I'm going to create two monsters. That's, that's not loving them. <clears throat> so be earnest and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him and he with me. I will grant the one who conquers permission to sit with me on my throne, just as I too conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the, and watch this, it's plural, churches. This isn't just for Laodicea. This is for all the churches, which includes us today, I would argue. Well, let's unpack this passage and this look at this. As was all was true with the other six letters, there's a description of Jesus, which you see there in your notes. If we had time, uh, I would take you through some connections with Isaiah. Those references are included in your notes, and I would challenge you, if you have some time this week, look at that, because there is clear... <clears throat> references to what the prophet Isaiah stated about God Almighty. Remember, we've said this. If you stab the book of Revelation with a knife, it will bleed Old Testament through and through. In fact, I would argue you cannot understand the book of Revelation if you don't know the Old Testament. It assumes that you understand it. And just look at this with the Christological titles. The first of these is the Amen. That's used... Only once in the New Testament is the title, but it's used in the Old Testament of God several times. What's the implication of that, by the way? In the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the Amen. And now it's used of Christ. What's the natural implication? What does that tell us? They're the same. Remember later? In Revelation, the angel falls at, or John falls at the angel's feet to worship him. And the angel says, what are you doing? Don't worship me. But here, this is Jesus saying, I am the amen. He's saying, I am. I am God. Which this church is seeming to miss. And we know from the problem at Colossae, well, we'll get to this in a minute. There, in Colossians, one of the major issues of that letter is a problem with Christology. Who is Jesus? How does he fit? And that problem had to have spilled over the church at Laodicea. Epaphras might have been great at establishing churches, but I, <laughs> we got some problems theologically that uh, either he's not equipped the saints in or maybe he himself is struggling with. But the amen, the, the second part is that we see Jesus referring to himself as the faithful and true witness which is a great contrast with a church that has failed to be faithful. And then the third thing that he says is, I'm the originator of God's creation. Again, what is one of the major issues in Colossians? That, that Jesus is the creator of the universe. It's in him and through him and for him. Again, equating Jesus with God. They are one and the same. And there's other text we could look at, but in scripture that support that. Uh, there, it's surprising to me there are, um, there's a trend among some evangelicals to deny the deity of Christ. Once as you do that, I don't consider you an evangelical. Uh, you're a heretic. Uh, and the early church, we would have stoned you. But anyway, we won't go there. But in John 1, 3, all things were created by him and for him. 
referring to Christ, or there it's logos, it's the word. And so this is this description of Christ. And again, it tells you much. It tells us, if you didn't know the rest of the letter, we can surmise a few things about the lack of faithfulness at the church, perhaps a diminishing of Jesus. And all of that is where he's headed. And so it's kind of like he's stretched, his feathers have come out like a peacock. This is who I am now. Let's deal with who you are, right? And that, that's where we go with this. And what we see is very clear after we get through this. Let's move along. What is clear here is that there is no condemnation or uh, commendation for the church. It's simply a condemnation of who they are. Um, you know, what's interesting. There is no sense of judgment uh, mentioned in the letter. And most scholars would argue that's because they're already under judgment. It's already started. And think of Ephesians 2. Before salvation, we were children of God's wrath, right? We were under judgment. Um, and, and that's the idea here. And as you can see there in your notes, um, this reference to that you are lukewarm, this is verse 16, look at this, neither hot nor cold. And, and he goes, I wish you were hot or cold. And, and he's not saying I wish you were either on fire for God or not on fire. I, I hear people say that. That's not what he's talking about. He, what he's talking about, and this is mentioned in your notes, is, is an issue of ineffectiveness you're not producing. You're not giving us cold water. You're not giving us hot water. In fact, you're useless. It's so useless, I just want to, I drink a little bit and it's, it's disgusting. And this was a major problem at Laodicea. The sulfur seeped into the pipes and the water, if it wasn't one extreme or the other, it, it wasn't that drinkable. And that's, they would have immediately related to this. <laughs> Again, it's not written in a bubble. And this is one of the greatest examples of where you see the, the cultural background meshing with the text. And I love it. But he says, you know, you're neither hot nor cold. And again, I just want to spew you out. And you can read more on that. The vomiting there, again, I mentioned it was used to the Canaanites because they refused to obey God. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to force them out of the land. It's a graphic image, isn't it? <laughs> But it, it's clear what he's stating. Questions on, on that part of it, this, this con, uh, condemnation? <clears throat> Again, there is no well done here. In fact, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you look at some of the other letters, uh, for instance, Philadelphia. I mean, the Lord just goes on and on about how wonderful they are. Not this church. There's nothing to applaud, which is pretty sad. Again, this is from Jesus. This isn't John's opinion of the church. Questions? Comments? Cries of outrage? All right, well, we'll move along. All right, so let's look at, okay, Lord, you've given us, you know what I love about Scripture? Not only does it point out the sin, but it gives us the blueprint on how to rectify the sin. Any, uh, I had an elderly prof professor who said, anyone can tear down a bar, not everyone can build one. So it, it's easy to... Uh, terror, be critical, but what are you going to do about it? And, and so the Lord has some solutions for them. But before he does, he goes on to talk about their problem. He gives us three, their lack of perception. Notice what he says 
in, starting in verse 17, what are the three things that he says about the church? Where do they falter in their self-awareness? What's he say about them? Yeah, you're, you're wretched. This is the latter part because you are wretched. What else does he say about them? Yeah, in fact, he says you are pitiful. You think you've got it, you don't. And what else does he say? Their condition. Poor, blind, and naked. Poor, blind, and naked. This is not how to win friends and influence people. You don't go through a list like that and say, this is your problem. The wretchedness is a, a state of misery is the idea that's being conveyed by that term. Pitiful is the absence of hope. And then the poor, blind, and naked, he's going to rectify in the next verses. We'll see. Because this is your condition. Now, why do you think this group has such a problem with self-awareness? Based on what we've read and what you know, wealth I think wealth is one of the problems, right? Certainly. Remember, this is a group who said to Rome, we don't need your help. Of course, the less government, the better. But anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> it was the banking center of the region. Yeah. I, I mean... This is a very affluent town. I, just look at the ruins that I showed you. That's not Smyrna. Smyrna is like, oh, that's nice. Uh, this, it's gorgeous, even today, to see the ruins. You know this was a very opulent city with a lot of money. What else do we know? Pride, wealth. self. Well, yeah, and it comes with that, doesn't it? It's self-reliant. And these dangers create this, can't they? And, and that's what we see here. The Lord says, you think you have it all together. In fact, you don't. Well, I love this whole issue of poor, blind, and naked. He, the Lord has a solution for them. Notice what he says here, and he rectifies all three of them. What's he tell them to do? By... He says, look at this. He says, take my advice and buy gold that is refined. So let's look at this and their lack of perception. He says, here's the first thing you need. You need to purchase gold from me. Now, Kyle, you mentioned this was known as a banking center, and that is true. But the gold that they've been trying to stockpile, uh, Christ says, you got the wrong, you got the wrong monetary issue. In your notes, I mentioned this there at the bottom of page two. One commentator says the gold pictures a high-quality faith that withstands trials and results in good works. They're called to refine their lives by separating themselves from the idolatrous aspects of their culture. The danger for the church, I don't care what generation you're in, I don't care where you're located, is that you embrace your culture. Look at First and Second Corinthians, I rest my case. Um, and that's the danger here is that 
all of this has seeped into the church, hasn't it? It's muddied the waters theologically. And he says, you need to refine your lives. What am I concerned about? You, you can't take that gold with you. This gold is what you're storing up treasures in heaven. Christ talked about this, did he not? He also says, notice what he tells them to do as well. Not only are they to buy gold, which is ironic in that he says they're poor, by the way. That tells you they're, they're bankrupt spiritually. But then he says, buy from me white clothing. And again, we see a connection because in Laodicea, in this region, they were known for their black wool. Uh, we talk about Italian leather or uh, Egyptian cotton. And that day would have been, if you, you mentioned wool, if you had Laodicean wool, you had very fine material. And how interesting, he says, you need to be buying white clothing. Throughout the Old Testament, nakedness was used to symbolize what? Shame, unrighteousness, sin, poverty. In fact, if you want a couple texts that, that look at that, look at Isaiah 20 if you want to write a text down for later. Isaiah 20 is one of those where <clears throat> nakedness is not a good thing. When he says you're naked, that is not a compliment. All right? Um, <laughs> the old line, the mosquito is happiest at a nudist colony, right? And we're not talking about that. This is not a, this is not a fun event. And he says, you need to buy white clothing. You need to buy gold. And then he says, you need to buy ISAP. And again, you've got this intersect that is so significant because Laodicea was known for their ISAP. You go, oh, come on, Hophaditz. Well, look, one of the most well-known ancient ophthalmologists, Demosthenes, is from this town. Again, not a coincidence. He, the, the Lord is, again, if you were to write a letter to Westfield, I would hope you would somehow incorporate Grand Park. They would all connect with that. And here, or if you wrote to Indianapolis, um, well, you might want to mention the Colts, I don't know. Um, but the monument, you know, the, the circle, all of that's connected. And he says, you, you were known for your I-7, and this is what you need to buy. But look what the text says here. He says, so that you, so you can see spiritually that you're not blinded to the truth. This call to buy echoes Isaiah 53. And I'm going to do one sword drill. Just turn to Isaiah 53, if you would. Oh, I'm sorry, 55. Talking about Isaiah, I think I need some. Isaiah 55. Oh, the joys of... Getting old isn't for sissies. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, it says, Hey, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Again, you got to ask, if I don't have any money, how do I buy? It's like a, an American mentality. How are you going to do anything? I'll oh, just put it on credit. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy? Wow. What did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life, right? 
I am the, the living water. Come, come to me. And this idea, Jesus is stating to the church at Laodicea, a church that has so many issues. He said, you got a problem with poverty. You got a problem with eyesight. You got a problem with nakedness. Come to me and I, I will, I'll remedy all of those for you. Come. And then he, if that isn't enough, he gives two promises, which I just, again, I mentioned this before. Talk about the grace of God. If it was me, I probably just went, fried that little town just like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're done. That church, what a, you know, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord's departed. We'll move on to the next church. No, 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 no. In this process, he gives two promises. The first is interesting. He says, you need to repent because I'm going to discipline you. <laughs> Their lukewarm behavior, this is there in your notes, must be replaced with a zealous passion for the things of the Lord. They are to repent. By the way, the grammatical construction here is a timeless truth, which indicates to us that this promise isn't just for the church at Laodicea. Interesting. I would argue that is a call for the church in America today. Repent. We've become too accustomed to our wealth, our pride, and our self-reliance. <laughs> But I'm starting to preach, so we'll move on. He disciplines those he loves. The second thing we see is that he desires fellowship. Now, I know Revelation 3.20 is often used for evangelism. Uh, he's standing at the door knocking, open up your heart, loud Lord, in. There is an argument that, the gospel, that this is for unsaved, but it, it probably is more so for those who claim to be believers. Open your heart and in fellowship. Because the idea of dining, that's very significant. I mentioned this there in your notes, quoting uh, one of the scholars in the Dictionary of Jesus in the Gospels. When people were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. He's longing to dine with them. Come, come in. Let's have a meal together. Let's have some White Castles and see and talk. And some would argue, well, this is talking about the Messianic banquet later in Revelation 19. I don't think so. I, the Lord says, I desire just to have fellowship with you. And yet, you've pushed me out. And so, I think the idea of wanting to commune with those who claim to be believers, again, it could also be used, I realize, with unbelievers to repent and welcome Christian fellowship. But that's the idea that's being conveyed here. Questions on these promises? In other words, the Lord's not done with the church at Laodicea, is he? His patience is long. <laughs> He's willing for this church to come back to him. It, it's a reminder, I think, to all of us as well as we work with people who might be struggling. It's easy, at least for me, to say, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, you you want to wallow in your sin? Have at it. And you shut the door, so to speak. And it's a reminder to walk in grace and patience and love, just as the Lord has done with us, <laughs> as he has done with the church at Laodicea. Well, let me give you three points to hang on your beak, some things to walk with. Well, the conclusion... Uh, the opportunity to rule with Christ. You can read those. Uh, it, by the way, it's a great springboard. Bachim even brings this out, which I cite him in the notes. 
uh, springboard into chapter five, four and five, because what do we see in four and five? Christ exalted with God Almighty. And, and so that's what you get to be, church at Laodicea, if you overcome, if you persevere, if you repent and come to me. Well, three things to walk away with. First of all, wealth, power, and fame can easily present a false sense of control and lead to complacency. Jesus, I mentioned there, is the true source of all that we have. And sadly, I th you think one would know that, and oftentimes the Lord, it's when... I'm in the greatest need that I recognize, oh yeah, Lord, you're in charge. Uh, even a situation this week, I was like, oh man, <laughs> Lord, this is, this is daunting. Oh. And then within two hours, there's a phone call. It's like, oh, okay, Lord, you're in charge. <laughs> you got this. Uh, how, we, how soon I forget that, yeah, you're in charge and, and we need you. And that's the danger of self-sufficiency is that we forget, no, 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 or, or we're dependent on him. A second thing here is an understanding of how horrific <clears throat> our sins are. Uh, it's been said that the quantity of our sins should be the measure of our repentance. Don't you love that? Uh, sin should... As a believer, it's so foreign. In fact, 1 John 3 says that, that sin, uh, a believer can't go on sinning. Uh, I think the, the believer should, a true believer doesn't sin. Well, John states earlier in his letter, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. So how do you reconcile that? I think what he's saying is it's so foreign to the believer. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. Uh, it's not, you know, the NIV tried to smooth it out by making it habitual. That a believer doesn't go on sinning. I don't think so. I think that for John, everything is black and white. Either you love the Lord or you don't love the Lord. Either you are in sin or you're not in sin. And if you do, you confess it as seen in 1 John 1. But sin should be so horrific that we don't go to sleep until we confess it. <laughs> and Colossians 3 talks about that. And then finally, one more here as we look at the church at Laodicea. The victorious one, the creator of the universe, longs to have fellowship with his creation. Rather than condemning us through judgment and isolation, he offers forgiveness and intimacy. That is the message of Christmas, is it not? You see that little baby lying in a manger, you realize that was God who left his pre-incarnate glory <laughs> to come to earth like that. Yeah, like that for us. And so Colossians 1, in fact, let's close with this text. Colossians 1, I love this epistle. And the reason I cited only Colossians in your application is because, again, the church of Laodicea and Colossians, Colossae were so similar, I think, in many, many issues. <clears throat> but as we reflect on... Uh, Christmas coming up and, and what we've seen here in Revelation. It says in Colossians 1, 9, For this reason we also from the day we've heard about you have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
so that you may live worthy of the Lord and please him in all respects. Again, not only did it appear to be the problem at Colossae, uh, the sister church just down the road, I think, was also an issue. And what's the solution? Well, look what he says, being strengthened with all power, giving thanks. He delivered us through the power and darkness and transfers the kingdom of the Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then here it is. I, I, uh, this you could put above your manger scene. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by him and for him, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions. Verse 17, he himself is before all things and all things are held together for him, in him. Verse 18, he is the head of the body. And so it says in verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell. If he didn't have all, he's not God in the Son. And through him to reconcile all things by himself by making peace through the blood of the cross. So that one says, I stand at the door and knock, longing to have fellowship. I'm preaching to the choir. You wouldn't be here this morning. I would argue if uh, you weren't serious about studying the Word and being in fellowship with the saints, but if you aren't walking with the Lord, if there's an area that you're holding on to, perhaps it's following in one of these, man, bend your knee, turn to the Lord, look to Him, right? What a way to end our series. The book of Revelation really is about Christ, is it not? That's why it's singular. The title isn't Revelations, it's Revelation of Christ and about Christ. And when the church misses that, they have this to deal with. And the church at Laodicea, unfortunately, is the best example of what happens when things go awry. Lord, thank you for your these letters that are nestled in the latter part of the New Testament. Lord, we do not want to be seen as a church like Laodicea, a church that has lost its way, has stripped the fellowship they've had with your son, and have latched on to the things of this world in hopes of finding identity. Our identity is in you, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these men. Lord, as we go into the Christmas season, for some in this room, this is a very hard time. They remember sitting with a spouse around the Christmas tree, and now that chair's empty. For some, there's a longing to have a child even call, say, hi, Dad, how you doing? Because it's been a long time since there's been any communication. For others, there's turbulence, inner twined within the soul, addictions that have never been slain. For others, perhaps it's a job situation that's just really weighing heavily. And the thought of buying Christmas gifts just pushes the budget beyond what is allowed. Father, speak into each one of these lives that are in this room. May this Christmas be vastly different because we've studied this book these seven letters. And may we recognize that your son is the sovereign one, the almighty. May we buy gold from your bank 
May we buy that white clothing and may we buy the salve so that our eyes might see. Thank you for the promises you give to us as believers. May we be overcomers that finish well the task you've set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.